Uh, today I want to talk about something that you know, I think we would look at church and say, yes, church ought to be for that, uh, but sometimes we, we miss the mark, sometimes we don't understand, sometimes we don't realize that we're some of these people, just like the last two weeks. Remember, in the first week, I said, new walk is for liars, and you know, it's an understanding that, hey, we're not always living in truth in our life. We're, we're sometimes, you know, kind of doing some other things behind the scenes, and we want people to come hear the truth about who Jesus is and what he wants for people's lives, and so we say, come on in, you know, come on in. We said last week, new walk is for hypocrites. And we were talking about, hey, we're all hypocritical at times, whether we go to church or people that don't go to church. Hypocrites are people who say they live one way, you know, put on a facade online, whatever it may be, but behind the scenes, they don't live that way. And, and so all of us deal with hypocrisy in our lives. And so we said, new walk is for hypocrites as well. Come on in. God doesn't want us to keep living that way, so we have a place where we give the truth about people's lives. This week, uh, I'm calling this new walk is for outcasts. And again, I could share a topic like this, and from you know where you're seated, some of you are like, well, I've never been an outcast. You know, I've always fit in, and I've all I've never had any problem with that. And I would just say, hold on a minute, <laughs> hold on a minute, because it's certainly something all of us battle. Uh, people in the church, people outside the church, and well, I'll just put it to you like this: if you've ever been sensitive about your appearance and we're hoping that you would fit in by your appearance. You were, you were worried about being an outcast, and so you, you conformed. Uh, if you've ever been sensitive about your skills or your abilities that you bring to the table for something, and you, you're worried about, like, what if I show up and I, I can't get it right? You've been somebody who's worried about being set on the sideline or outcasted. If you've ever worried that you're not smart enough compared to other people and how would people see you and maybe they would look at you as kind of marginalized and outcasted because you're not smart enough. You're somebody who's dealt with this issue. If you've ever worried about your financial status, not having enough to, to kind of fit in with everybody else, you're somebody who's worried about not being, yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want to be an outcast. And we all deal with this. And here's the thing, when you look at Jesus's life, we talked about a couple times in this series already, like these are the people that Jesus was rolling with, the people who were worried that they were an outcast. And we said, we, I mean, he was hanging out with the tax collectors and prostitutes and people who were living very poorly. He was hanging out with people who had very much really deep physical ailments. And in that culture back then, they were outcasted. And Jesus was hanging out with them as well. And so thank goodness we see the portrait of a God who cares about this mindset like, am I an outcast? And we see Jesus like, hey, come on in. Come on in. And I think it's important. We say New Walk is for, I think, as a church. We ought to be very similar in this. It's why we say, you know, at our church, we say, welcome home before Everybody was like seemingly putting welcome home on stuff like eight years ago. We were saying welcome home because this is a place that kind of wherever you've been, whether it's on the fringes, outcast, marginalized, or maybe you're just a complete conformist all the time, like you can come and find a real different kind of way to operate a different community, outcasted. I mentioned conformists. People who are conformists are people who struggle with being an outcast, got to fit in with the crowd. For some of you, whether you recognize it or not, you spend a lot of time trying to conform. Isolationists, people who, who don't, can't do well socially, oftentimes they've gone through something in social settings, 
They cause them to back down, and so they isolate because they feel like maybe they're an outcast. It shows up in shyness in social settings. The opposite as well of that, arrogance. What is arrogance? Arrogance is a form of me kind of better than you because I want to look important so that I will always kind of be in the in crowd. And so I tear others down or I brag about myself so that I can feel like I am accepted by people. You have a quick temper. You know, well, you have a quick temper because you're, you're fighting. You like to say, hey, hey, don't, don't come at me with my insecurities. I'm insecure. I'm an insecure person, but don't you bring it up. And if you do, I'm going to get violent. Because if my insecurities are exposed, then maybe I'll be seen as somebody who is possibly one of these people who is outcasted in society. Phonies, pretenders. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26 a very famous text said this. It says, look at the birds of the air. Jesus said this. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father is feeding them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Like, like if the birds are taken care of, certainly God takes care of you and I. Certainly he values you and I way more than the birds in the air. And that's true, but yet we lose sight of our value. Uh, it's easy to lose sight of our value. You get in this life long enough, you can get down pretty strongly about your value. As a matter of fact, let's just go outside the church for just a little bit. If I was to line up, you know, 100 people who don't go to church, really probably don't even know Jesus, and I was to line up 100 people and say, like, do you know that you are so valuable to God? Do you understand how much God loves you? I mean, out of those hundred, you, you and I understand, many, almost, almost all of them would say, no, I don't. I don't know that God loves me that way. I don't know how valued I am. And so when that happens, you see a culture, whether it's through conformity, arrogance, anger, whatever it may be, that's fighting this journey to say, I don't want to be left out. They have lost their sense and understanding that their value is about turning to God, discovering that value. I mentioned earlier that there are all kinds of ways, or things that can happen in life to beat us down and to cause us to think, you know, like I'm marginalized or outcast in life. I put these in your notes. These are probably the three most common things that our culture is struggling with today that causes us to wonder, like, am I on the in or out? Am I, am I accepted and loved or, or not? And the first one I put in your notes, what's causing people to be outcasted in our community, the first one is this, it's rejection. You get rejected enough in settings in life and you'll sink back. And you'll wonder, like, am I, am I loved? Right? You see this happen, it can happen early on in life. It can happen in, in childhood. It can happen with our parents, you know, in our settings at home. We don't even realize what that rejection has done to our thought and our sense about whether we are in or not in life, and we start to wonder, like, do people love me? And David, in the scriptures, he wrestled with this. Look what it says in Psalm 27 and verse 10. Though my, mo my father and mother forsake me, who will receive him? He says, the what? The Lord, right? This is an understanding that I will deal with rejection from humans, but though I deal with it, I know God has a love and a value for me. He understands that, that connection. Some of you, it was in that early childhood setting in your home. It, when we have a child as a parent, 
We absolutely should, and many times do, embrace this mentality. Unconditional love for my child. And that's a beautiful thing, because right, that is a perfect love, that is the love that God showed us through the, through the gift of Jesus Christ, and as parents with our children, you know, we want to say that we would be unconditionally loving to them, but we're not perfect. See, that's the thing, we're not Jesus. And so as parents, sometimes we don't always get it right. Though we wanted to love our kids unconditionally, there are times where, here's what we do, we send signals to our kid when they mess up, we kind of withdraw some of that love a little bit. And it sends a signal to our kid that love is conditional. But when they do great, we, some, we sometimes pour out a little bit more love. We never intended it to be that way, but it happens sometimes. And even in little things, some of you have much bigger examples than this, but even in those little moments, we are kind of conditioned that in order to be loved, these conditions must be in place. And this plays out in our other relationships, friendships, where people put conditions on our friendships, marriages. Some of you have been through this in the marriage realm where, you know, the conditions for love were contractual. And all of a sudden we wonder, like, can I, can I be loved? Can I be valued? Rejection is something our culture is dealing with heavily. And here's the thing. Most humans on this planet today have no idea, they have a huge blind spot about how rejection has affected the way that they think and operate in their day-to-day -day life. They just don't, it's just don't see it. And if you have struggled with that ever in your life, you need to pay attention to how that's affected what you value, how you're seen as valuable in life. The second thing I put, you know, is criticism. Criticism is, you know, it's getting... <laughs> This is the highest level. I mean, we just love, why do we love to criticize people? Oftentimes it's because, we, again, we don't want others to see our own deficiencies, so I tear you down. But at the end of the day, overly highly critical people get around us in our life, and they wear us out, man. They, they just completely wear us out. And, and again, this could, happen in, this could happen in childhood, right? You could, some of you, you, maybe you grew up in the home where you got an A on a test, you got a 95%, and you came home, and somebody in the house said, well, why didn't you get 100? Uh, you did great in your sales job that month or that year. You increased sales by 15%. You showed your boss, and your boss says, well, how come you didn't hit 20? And it's over and over again, these criticisms, criticisms, constant nagging, wearing down. You start to wonder about your... Your value, Ephesians 6, 4. And now a word to you parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. There's some kids right now, you're like, what verse is that? I'm going to put that on the refrigerator when I get home. We're right there for mom and dad to see. And you know what? There's a truth to this. Like, if we're always nagging, right, parents should be, you know, we should be on our kids about some discipline things, but we ought to be bragging way more. But what if you're in a home where the nagging is way more than the bragging? What if there's an occasion where you just constantly beat down, maybe not in the home, again, in, in a marriage or in work relationships, and this stuff starts to pile on, and we wonder, like, man, what, what, what am I worth? Am I, am I an outcast? A comparison is the last one. We've talked often here at our church about how comparisons can really make you feel inferior, the comparison trap. But 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 says this, we do not dare. And the Bible repeatedly talks like, hey, watch out. Hey, culture. Hey, community. Hey, believers, watch out. 
2 Corinthians 10, 12, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Comparing ourselves with what everybody else is doing and how do I look and how do I seem, and this starts oftentimes at a young age, right? In your childhood, you, you're comparing and you know, it's birthday cake time and who got a bigger piece, me or my brother? Who got a bigger piece of the pie if presents come around at Christmas? And did they get more than me? And was their stuff worth more than the stuff? And we start comparing, and then we take this into school. And our kids go to school, we go to school, and, you know, we compare test results and boyfriends and girlfriends and athletic skills and clothes and, of course, social media, wrecking our, our kids as they're all comparing themselves to one another, and then it goes into adulthood. And we compare jobs and income levels and houses and yards and who's got the nicest lawn. And of course, as adults, social media, we're looking online as well. And comparison can devalue you because you're always wondering, again, do I, do I fit in? I don't know if you know this, but when you watch an advertisement on television, any media advertisement or billboards or whatever it is, just about every single commercial or advertisement out there that's designed for you to buy is designed to make you feel inferior, to make you feel less. But if you get this now, if you get this while supplies last, at the discount we're offering, you can elevate your game. Like if you get this product, this home, this car, whatever it is, if you, you will step up now. You're lesser now, but if you will get this, you can be in the in crowd. All of it. You need this to get to here. And when you recognize that, you can begin to see this game of comparison that's playing out over and over in our culture that we easily buy into. Why is it that so many of us struggle with trying to fit in all the time, trying to be in the in crowd? It's because we've gone through so much of this in life. And here's the problem. And here's why our church, one of the big reasons why our church exists is because, because we know that when you go down this road for long periods of time in your life where you feel devalued and so you go through the struggle to try to fit in, we know what that unhealthiness looks like, right? Okay, I don't fit in, so I need to find a group of people that I do fit in and they're unhealthy and they're really messy and they're really broken, but I'll roll with them because at least they like me. And this leads to this unhealthy way of living in life. And, and I feel devalued and broken and so you know what I need to do? I need to get into debt up to my eyeballs so that I can buy these things and fit in with other people and social status. And we know how that goes and how unhealthy that could be for a home. And, and I know that, that I, I'm trying to find real love from somebody I'm trying to maybe one day marry or trying to find a relationship with somebody who will accept me and love me. So I go from bed to bed to bed to try to find it. And we know on how unhealthy that is. And so we said, hey, you know, let's, let's have a church where people can come in and say, let's not, this is not about comparison and all the beatdowns we've experienced with humanity and life. Let's come to a place where we can encounter the truth about what God has for us. I put in your notes, if we are a healthy church, uh, what we're going to be doing is communicating these things to humanity, and we do this in various ways here at our church. I put several of these in your notes, a healthy church helps people, it's basically A, B, C, D, E, F, G, did it that way because it's just, I have to, you know, it's just the way it goes. So here we go, the first letter A in your notes, if we're 
getting this right as a church. We say Newark is for outcasts. Here's one of the things that our church would be doing regularly. We teach people to accept their uniqueness. That they are uniquely made. And we do talk about this regularly at our church. You know there are 25,000 varieties of orchids in the world? And God made them all uniquely. You've heard it said that you're one in a million. Hey, you're one in a million. You're one in eight billion. You are uniquely designed. There's been nobody on the face of the earth ever before or ever again that will be made as unique as you. And we shared this scripture, it was just not long ago. I shared it, but I'll share it again. God created every part of me. You, God, you did. Psalm 139, verse 13, you put me together. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your workmanship is marvelous. You saw me before I was born and scheduled every day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. Folks, you're a prescription baby. You were. God had a design and a plan for everything that's going to work out, go forth in your life. If you're five foot two, God meant for that for you. And he had a design for you. If you're six foot six, God had a plan and a design for the way he wired you. Hear me. You know this is true. Nobody has your fingerprint. Nobody has your footprint. Nobody has your voice print. It's just uniquely designed for you. Now, <laughs> I'm quite sure God could have copied and pasted. Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he could do that. Like, you know, this group of 10 right here, just do it better as humans. Let's just copy and paste them over and over and over again. But he didn't. And to this day, he continues to make humanity unique, different than anybody else in the world. And so what do we have to do to, to kind of stop and contrast and understand like this truth about this? In order to encounter your uniqueness, you have to stop comparing yourself. And we just dealt with this comparison thing, but you know, I love, there's an entire text in 1 Corinthians that just spends verse after verse after verse talking about how the church is the body. And every single person has a unique part. And as believers, we step up and we fill that role. We say around here sometimes, if, if you don't do your part, then nobody's doing your part. Because you were made specifically to do your part. Like, you are unique. You could be on a, a serve team here at our church, serving the body of believers. And there's 20 people on that team, but nobody's like you on that team. And you bring something to the table that other people don't. And we all fill this role in the church. And the church is this bigger picture of just humanity in general that, hey, we all have this unique design and this unique role. And we embrace that. and We dive into that and we discover the, the unique design. There are Christians who, you know, they see what other Christians are doing and they compare themselves to other Christians. Ooh, what's super Christian do? I want to be them. And you should look at people who've modeled the faith and, and certainly want to emulate certain parts of, uh, of what they do. But we can get caught as Christians in this comparison game. You see pastors who want to be other pastors. And they want to do, they want to be this, they want to just kind of emulate and look like another pastor. And God says, like, I, I want to do something unique in you. 
you're you. And, and, and so those churches become more vibrant when the pastor embraces who God made them to be. If you want to get past your feeling of inferiority, if you want to get past your feeling of rejection, if you want to get past your feeling of being an outcast, what do you do? You stop comparing and you start embracing the uniqueness of your design. Here's the letter B in your notes. Believe. We want to be teaching people and letting people learn, know, that, believe that God loves them. I mentioned before, people, people don't know that. And they think they've stumbled so far, and they think they've made too many mistakes. And there's a love that God is trying to reveal to humanity that many don't know. They have scales on their eyes, and they don't know that long ago, 2,000 years ago, God directed his love for you and I by the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. He's already put that love into motion for you and I. In Romans 8:39, there is nothing in all of creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like He loves us. There's no mistake, no fault, no fumble, no blurb that you could do in years and years and years of your life piled up that you can't still encounter the incredible power and love of God, but yet many don't know that. I think... If I was to bring Jesus as a guest out here on stage this weekend, which won't happen, but if I could, and he was standing here on this stage, and I was to just try to guess, like, what some of the first things he would tell this crowd? He would start out by letting you know how much God loves you. That's just what he would do. Despite all of our flaws and all of our mistakes, he would want that communicated first and foremost, and probably through the nail scars in his hands, you would recognize how much God loves you. And so we want to be teaching that in a healthy and vibrant church, and we do. And so we make sure that that love is made known every single weekend here, no matter what the background is of anybody who comes through our doors. Isaiah 43 and verse 4, God says, you are precious in my sight, red, yellow, black, and white. You're precious to me. Here's the letter C in your notes. Clear the conscience. We, we want to teach people about the importance of clearing their conscience. Why? Because, well, you were made to move ahead. You weren't made to be outcasted, marginalized, sitting on the sideline, conformity and rolling with what everybody else is doing. You were made to advance the ball down the field. You were made to move forward in the things that God has for you in your life. But you don't need me to tell you this, which you know it's true. Whether you're a believer or not, whether I'm a preacher or not, here's what you know. When you're dealing with shame, regret, failures, mistakes, resentments, and life, one, like all these things have piled up, you don't move forward the best you could. You're oftentimes stuck in the past. On this wheel, it kind of keeps repeating over and over. You think you're advancing, but when you look back on the years of your life, it's still like you're stagnant. And what we know is that when people have a clearing of their conscience and a freedom from their past and their regrets and their pains, that they can actually start move ahead, moving ahead. Psalm 32 and verse 1. What happens? What happiness there is for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What relief for those who've confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. I'm no longer haunted regularly by the things and choices and things that happened to me in my past. Proverbs 
And then the man of integrity, he walks securely. I'm not insecure anymore. I'm on firm foundation. I can see more clearly. I'm, I'm made whole. I'm, uh, there, there's a whole gap in the middle that was lacking integrity. But now, God, you're making it whole in my life. None of us are perfect. We're, we're not. And we shouldn't want to make mistakes. And God doesn't want us to mess it up. He, he wants us to get it right. But when, when we do, we know we have a God that Though we have faults and though we have sin, we can go to him and be honest about our weaknesses. And then what we see is when we're honest and we have that clearing of that conscience, we are stronger to move ahead. And so we want to teach that here at our church. Here's the letter D in your notes. We want to discover that God has a purpose. People need to know that God has a purpose for their life. We, We want to teach that, and we were talking earlier that, hey, you're not here by accident. God created you, and that's a communication that we want people to hear and understand from us. But in Ephesians 2.10, another famous text that we share around here a lot, it says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do, to do a long time ago. Maybe you haven't done any planning in your life but God has been planning in your life. He's been planning on your life. He's been wanting designs for your life. He's been believing for designs for your life, but it's your job to get in tune with what he's designed for your life. I have a saying that I share around here sometimes. There's, there's design living or default living. You're in one or the other right now, you. You're living in God's design for your life right now, or you're not, and so therefore you've defaulted and you're just doing what other humans do. You know, it's conforming, right? Like, I don't know what God wants for me, so I guess I'll just do what everybody else does. And most of the people in our culture today, this is what they do. They just default with the crowd over and over again. But when you're in design living, you're living on purpose. You're living in the design, the plans that God's had in store for you a long time ago. His plans. And by the way, his purpose and plans for your life include some of the great things and also all of your screw-ups. Yeah, that's right. If you're going to be on purpose for God in design living, he's going to use all your mess-ups for his glory and all of your great things for his glory. He's going to work it all together to utilize your life to make a difference in somebody else. He's going to take the successes. He's going to take the failures, and he's going to write a very powerful story. And yet, so many people think, I could never have a story for God because of the mess-ups I've made. I could never do something great for God. And God's sitting there going, wait, what? No, I'm going to take it all. I'm going to take it all. And we're going to do something big. There are many people uh, that are outside the doors of this church, and they believe this famous scripture that says that because of the sin of my life five years ago, I will never have this journey with God. Except that's not in the Bible at all. It's nowhere to be found that says that because of my mistakes all those years ago, I could never be valuable to God. In fact, God's word gives us the complete opposite. 
that if you will turn to him and seek him with everything, he will reveal to you how he's wanting to utilize all of it for something great. And he keeps working with our highs and our lows to write this story. Philippians 1.6, it says, being confident of this, that he who began a work, a good work in me, will carry it on to completion until the end of the day of Christ Jesus. I'm confident in knowing that he's working all of it. Whatever he started, He's going to finish. Some of you have been believers for a long time. And you're in a place right now where you're stagnant. You just are. Or maybe backpedaling a little bit. And you, but maybe it's because of some mistakes and choices in your life that have been unhealthy. And I think what God still wants to say is, I'll make it a part of your story. Turn to me. I'll make it a part of the journey. I'll make it a part of the testimony. In fact, it'll be a testimony that you can share with somebody, maybe in small group one day, how you got a little bit stagnant as a believer, but then God got a hold of you again, and it's kind of a part of this bigger story now. It's something that happens sometimes in groups. You get to hear stories in our groups about people who, this is what God did, is the whole story of their life. Have you signed up for a group? Because our group signups are happening right now. And people all over the church, I'm hearing, we may, I'm waiting, I'm hearing we may hit a new record of groups, individual group signups um, over this next round. But, but here's the thing, some of you still haven't made that decision. It's not too late. Some of them are already starting to meet. It's not too late to say, I'm going to get in a group. There's uh, certainly our information table down the hall on the left-hand side talking about our groups there. If you're new to our church, we tell you that, hey, we meet here on the weekends. That's half of what we do as a church. The other half meets throughout the week in these smaller group settings. You can go online and you can see all of the groups that we have and you can sign up online as well. The letter E in your notes. We, we want to help people eliminate negative self-talk. Now, before you go thinking that this is some psychobabble self-help talk therapy session, uh, it is not, and that's not what I'm proposing here. I'm proposing something that's in God's word regularly that we need to be paying attention to. And look, you... You continually talk to yourself, whether we want to admit it or not. We all know it's true. We're regularly thinking things like, how do I look? And do people notice me? And what should I do next? And I'm going to enter this room. How am I looking? Should I wear? Should I have a cup in my hand? Should I not? Should I, do I smell right? Do I look right? And should, all these things are going through your mind. Just while I'm talking up here right now, you've been thinking things and talking to yourself about things. And does this really relate to me or not? And who is this guy anyways? And what is he talking about? And you're, so you're just kind of having these conversations. And here's the thing. For a lot of people today, that conversation is so unhealthy. In fact, I put this in my notes. It's not in yours. But if you talk to your friends the way that you talk to yourself, you'd never have friends. Because we reserve some of our harshest words just for us. Proverbs 23 and 7 says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is, so is he. I'm just a shy little wallflower. I'm such a klutz. Nobody likes me. You hear people say, I, I hear people say, you know, they'll even verbalize this, but there's many people in our culture today that are thinking this behind the scenes. They're, they're, they're not talking about it publicly, but they'll, they'll think these words to themselves, I'm nothing. You know what I am? I'm nothing. And, and let me just say this. If you've ever thought those words or you think those words, I am nothing, you need to know something. 
Jesus Christ did not go to the cross for nothing. He went to the cross for everything and for every one of us. And he loves you. And yes, you've made mistakes and so have I. And we haven't always got it right. But he went to the cross to show that you have value, that you are deeply loved, though you are deeply fallen. You can be saved from your sin. You don't need to be living on the outside and murmuring these words. I am nothing to God. You mean so much. The Bible says you are just a little lower than the angels. Romans 12, 2 says, though, here's what we do. We be transformed. We're going to be transformed by, how are we going to do it? By the renewing of our what? Our mind. The Bible says you start to see yourself differently. You start to talk differently about yourself. It starts from within. It's why I say here regularly that the outcomes of our life start with our thinking, right? As we think, so we do in life. And after we do our actions, we become. As you think, so you do, so you do, then you, you become. And that's biblical understanding. It starts with the mind. It's the principle of magnification that says, I'm going to focus on the things in my life that are healthier. And as I laser focus on those things, it will ultimately affect my mentality and it will affect my decision making and outcomes in my life. The letter F, focus on pleasing God, not others. You need to focus on pleasing God, not others. And this is the root of so much of the insecurity in our culture today. When we consider comparison, for sure, but worrying constantly about what people think and the way that I dress and the way that I talk, the habits that I have, the car that I drive, it's a huge trap. And so many times we become addicted to approval. Like, you don't understand how this plays out. Uh, there is a mentality in our culture today we constantly crave approval, and the reason we crave approval, you know, how many likes did I get, how many hearts did I get, you know, all that, the reason we crave that is because it triggers something in our mind very similar to, to, to a drug addiction. It, it's the, these things start to move, these dopamines start to hit, I got approval, I got approval, I got approval. And so you crave it more and more and more over and over in your life. The problem is when you don't get the fill that you want, you start to get a little bit down. And if somebody criticizes you, my goodness... I mean, all of us should be able to emotionally help, be able to handle some level of criticism. But when you're so addicted to approval, you can't even handle healthy criticisms in your, in your life, or at least coaching. And let me give you four facts of life. I wrote these in my notes. You can write them in yours. There's not a place for them. But I'm going to say, if you get these four things, you will have learned something today before we leave here that is important to your life. Here's the first thing you need to remember. You can't please everybody. You just can't, man. Every day I'm making decisions that some people like and some people don't. You do as well and some people like and some people don't. By the way, God can't please everybody. I've shared this before, but there's somebody that's praying on planet earth today that is going to rain. And there's somebody else that's praying that it's not, and it's not going to go the way that they wanted. And if God can't please everybody, you certainly can't either. And so you got to kind of back away from that, right? You gotta, that, 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 like, the, like this Monday night, some people are going to be praying that the Bucks are going to win on Monday night. And some, very few, like maybe one fan on the planet might pray that the Eagles will win. It's very few. And by the end of the day, you know what? Actually, I learned a long time ago, God doesn't care about football. But, <laughs> but if we're on this people-pleasing journey, it certainly 
is messy because you can't please everybody. Number two, it is not necessary to please everybody. Have you learned that? You don't have to have everybody's approval in life in order to be happy. Number three, rejection will not ruin your life. It won't. It will hurt. Of course it hurts to be rejected, but it will not ruin your life because why? Number four, I wrote this down, because no one can make you feel inferior, weak, or outcasted unless you give them permission. Okay, they might damage you with their words, but you have to give it permission to have this long-lasting and hurtful effect. Hear me, Jesus Christ died on the cross to set you free from the idea that your worth is based on the opinions of other people. It is focused, it's laser focusing us on the dependency on God, Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win, Paul says, the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? Now, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Every weekend backstage, I do a little motive check before I come out here. I say, God, am I doing this for the right reason, to please you, God, or is there something I'm doing to try to please men? And I want to get that right frame of mind because the decisions that I have to make, God, is this about you or is it about pleasing humans? And that plays out for all of us in our lives. God, is this about you? Here's the letter G in your notes. Give others life. We want to teach people to give others Give, give others life by giving their life away. You want to know a great antidote for wondering if you fit in? You want to know a great antidote for wondering whether like, you're part of a community? Here it is. You laser focus on serving others. And the more meistic we become in our culture today, which it's growing and growing, the more we're constantly worried about me and do I fit in and what do people think about me, we have this preoccupation with ourselves that produces this inferior mindset. We don't know that it's happening, but it does over and over again. Philippians 2, 4 says this, look out for each other's interest, not just for your own. And you and I can back away from that preoccupation by constantly putting ourselves in position to serve others. Here's a challenge for you this week. Every day this week, find an opportunity to serve somebody else. And watch how the concerns about whether you fit in or not, watch how those fade and the joy of what happens because you got outside of yourself and started caring for somebody else. It's why when you serve here regularly at our church, you're making sure you're in a position to, to kind of set aside some of that thinking and say, what about other people? It puts you in a position to recognize that there are people coming in the doors of our church that are outcasted or feel that way, feel rejected and marginalized, and they're looking for a place and a home, and you step into that role and say, welcome home. You're in the right place. You're going to hear some stuff that's going to change the way you see God and the way you see your life, and you get on those front lines, whether it's in the cafe or in kids or at students, media, and all the other areas in between. You're doing your part to say, hey, you matter to God, person that came into our church, VIP, first-time visitor. Are you serving, or are you still so preoccupied with all of me? 
you're not on a serve team, you can let us know on the back of your Connect card. Hey, you know what, Pastor, I need to serve. You can write serve. Just write serve on the back of your Connect card. Circle it, drop it in the bucket, and we'll get you plugged in and be a part of a team and a community of people that are serving others. New Walk is for outcasts. People who feel inferior, criticized, rejected, marginalized, to come in and say, here's the truth about how God sees us, about community, about his love, about what's right for our lives, who we're trying to impress and not impress. So, so I hope you're learning more about what our church is for. Let's pray together. Father, now we are grateful again that you are doing a work in us. And I believe there might be a believer here and they're just kind of maybe drifting just a little bit and sinking into, do I fit in? And Am I on the fringes? And, and God, maybe there's just some steps they need to embrace in our time together to get back on track. Maybe there's a longtime believer here and, and they're checking all the boxes today and, and they're on this journey where they, they, they know, God, that they have community and they have love of you, God, in their life. And so maybe you're just emboldening them to realize how important it is for them to care about others in our community as well and strengthening them for their serving and care that they give to the people here that come in the doors of New Walk. But maybe... You're a person that came in here today and you didn't know how much God loves you. And you didn't know how much he valued you. And you thought you were too far away and outcasted. The word of God that I read says that Jesus was trying to connect with people just like you. Say you're not too far. As a matter of fact, you can close the gap between how far you feel from God and how connected you are to him. You can close that gap like people have been doing by the billions for 2,000 years. In an instant, they've sat in the seat like you are, heard the message go forth. And in an instant, the gap closed. They came into relationship with God because they just turned and said, God, I surrender. And I accept the forgiveness of my sin. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. He loved me so much that he shed that blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sin of humanity, a requirement by God for anyone to be forgiven, pure blood sacrifice. Jesus, you did that for me. I received the forgiveness of sin today. Believe that Jesus Christ came so that he could be Lord, so that God could take charge of my life. God, I am ready to begin that journey with you today. I am forgiven, I am set free, and I am ready to live for you. I don't understand it yet, but I'm going to learn and grow starting today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.